This week on Take This Down, I sit down with Annette Landeros, president and CEO of the Fort Worth Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. And we talk about growing up in San Antonio, how she found herself in Indiana, to now her role as president and CEO of Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. You're gonna wanna take this down. Well, Annette, thank you for joining me on Take This Down podcast. I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you. I'm so honored to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. You know, it's a tradition of mine to always tell my guests why, you know, I reached out to invite you on. You may not remember, you know, how I ever met you or anything like that, but it was in 2019 at TCU when you were just being introduced as the new CEO and president of Fourth Hispanic Chamber. Uh, and I went to the reception, had an opportunity to meet you, but I was intrigued by not only your background, but your presence, but also, okay, we have a young professional that's stepping up in leadership finally in Fort Worth. And, you know, followed you along the way, had the opportunity to get to know you better. And when I came up with this podcast, you were on my list. Okay, I need to sit down and have a conversation. And so thank you, because this is a day that's been in, in the making for four or five years thank now. Thank you, Ty. That's awesome. I, it's been a whirlwind of opportunity to, to lead the Hispanic Chamber. Um, but Fort Worth is on an upward trajectory, and I'm just excited to be part of it. So who is Annette Landeros? at her core. Yeah, so I am a lot of things today, um, but originally I'm from San Antonio. I am the daughter of two Mexican immigrants um, who just grew up humble beginnings, really uh, was ingrained with uh, the importance of education. So I actually went to school in Indiana University and that kind of was the beginning of an expansion of my my world vision, uh, leaving San Antonio after living in the same house forever um, and just seeing another part of the country and a, a different perspective there. I went to grad school at UT, uh, UT Austin uh, at the LBJ school. So both my degrees are in public policy, always set out to work for the federal government and did just that upon graduating and went to Washington, D.C. Um, and did that for a couple of years and then ended up staying, um, transferring to Fort Worth, but staying with my agency, the U.S. Department of Transportation's Inspector General's office for 12 years. Um, so I was a dutiful federal employee for 12 years. Uh, didn't ever think that I would work for a nonprofit, but had become very involved in Fort Worth and in the communities, you know, through board service and other things and was serving on the board of the Hispanic Chamber when our previous president had um, announced that he was going to pursue another business opportunity. So um, after some nudging from my fellow board members, I decided to toss my name in the hat and see what would happen and was selected. And then four years later, here we are. There we go. Well, you know, that was a shortcut, you know, <laughs> uh, but you know, if, if I can, I want to go back and talk a little bit about yeah. growing up in San Antonio, you know, San Antonio has a very, you know, prevalent and strong Hispanic community, yeah. Mexican American community and immigrant community. How was growing up uh, in San Antonio? You know, I think I appreciated it more now that I, then you, and you know, when you move away and you get older and you start to reflect on things that probably were, you know, crucial developmental points or things that were around in your childhood. Um, I tell folks that uh, when I was born, uh, 
1983, San Antonio had... I didn't ask for her. I, <laughs> for the I know, it's very public. <laughs> but um, San Antonio already had their first mayor. So Henry C. Snows was the mayor of San Antonio the year that I was born. So I say that in retrospect, as um, now somebody that appreciates that, um, having leaders and the leader of your city, the top leader of your city look like you, I think actually had a huge impact on my, um, just ambitious nature and believing that people that look like me belong everywhere, um, and that we are leaders and that we, you know, can excel to, to the top of, of every leadership position. And so that's something that I carried with me as I started to move to different parts of the country and to learn a little bit about diversity and what that looked like. And, and, and so I would say that San Antonio's strong Hispanic population really gave me a foundation of feeling limitless um, and that I could do anything, right? Because I just, I saw it around me. And so that was something that was really a huge developmental point for me. You know, growing up, you know, with, I'm gonna say like-minded individuals and, you know, in a culture that you know, did you feel prepared to take on the world or did you feel like, okay, I have limited exposure. Like I only know one thing. I didn't realize how limited my exposure was until I went to Indiana. I went to Bloomington, Indiana and saw a whole different world in San Antonio. I will be honest with you. I think also naively, I thought the rest of the country kind of looked like San Antonio and then was like, whoa. And then I realized why we were, you know, called minorities um, and experienced a whole different culture. But I think that for me, that was really important because there's also a little bit of safety um, in just being around people that are just like you. Right. It was my first exposure to seeing people from all over the world. That was exciting and hearing different accents and trying different foods and really talking to other students that also had left their home and maybe were a little homesick too, talking about like what their culture was like and what they grew up with and what their challenges, but also strengths were. Um, so for me, my whole world really did open up going away for college and being transplanted in a community that looked completely different from mine. I have to ask, how did you end up in Bloomington? <laughs> you know, that's you know, we, we all go off yeah. to college, but San Antonio to Indiana to Bloomington. Totally. I, I got to hear the story. Yeah. So I tell this to students a lot. I talk to a lot of students uh, because I actually didn't start college there. I started college at St. Mary's University in San Antonio. Uh, I also, my parents, again, being Mexican immigrants and never have even finished high school themselves, uh, they tried to guide me to the best they could. And I met some mentors that also helped. Um, but for me, just getting to college was like, thumbs up, right? Like we got there. Um, and I have like other stories of my parents trying to invest in us and us getting taken advantage of. Like, it's just, it's a complicated story of just trying to get a, a child to spaces that you've never been to, right? Um, so I appreciate and acknowledge and will ever be grateful for my, my parents and their journey. But I had a great time at St. Mary's University. Unfortunately for me, I couldn't afford to stay there. I realized that going to private school just was beyond my financial capabilities very quickly. Even though I had a great scholarship, um, what was remaining, and I started to do the math of like what four years would look like there in terms of student loans. And I was just starting to like really rethink, like, I don't think I can stay here. I don't think I can afford to stay here. Um, and so then it was a scramble of what else 
where else can I go? Um, so again, by mentors and one specific one that I will feel forever be grateful for, uh, Felipe Vargas. He actually, his brother went to Indiana University on a scholarship and he was like, you could try for the same scholarship that my brother got. Um, and we did, you know, I actually did it without my parents' knowledge, uh, because I knew they'd tell me no if I told them I was going to go to school far away. Um, what was great about Indiana was that they actually had a public policy program, which was exactly what I wanted to do, um, and filled it all out, sent it all off without anyone knowing, and then actually, you know, got admitted. Then I worked on the scholarship and I got the full ride. And then I told my parents and then they told me no, <laughs> just like I knew they would. Uh, like my father was very against this, like his, you know, very traditional father role. How is my daughter going to be across the country? I won't be able to take care of you and protect you and, you know, watch you. Um, and so it took that was the second part of the journey of convincing my parents that this could be something um, of an opportunity. Uh, but but it, luckily it all worked out. Um, but I tell students that sometimes, you know, you you find your way and then you realize it's not your way. You know what I mean? Or you have to backtrack or start over or pivot. And that's totally OK. You know what I mean? It's totally OK. There can be some really beautiful opportunity in redirecting and changing paths. So and that's great. That's great. That's I like what you said, that there's, you know, good and, you know, kind of changing and re redirecting. Because sometimes people look at if you change your course, you're a failure. But it's like, no, this your path just may be different than what you a set new up door on. of opportunity. Right, right. You know, you, you mentioned a lot, like obviously your career in public policy, but you knew early on. You know, I did a little bit of research beforehand, and would you do you credit you know watching news yeah. <laughs> from a young age as to you know why what led you to public policy? Absolutely. What, Again, yeah, you know, I don't mean to cut you off yeah. or anything, but. What interests you so much about news at a young age? Because I used to be scared of watching the news. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't have a choice. We only had one TV. So that was really the truth of it. I wasn't like the egghead that wanted to watch the news. It was that we only had one TV at home. <laughs> and so uh, so when my dad was home, you know, again, traditional family household, dad got to, you know, control the remote. And so it was always back then it was like 60 minute. Like the news looked very different than it does now. Right. Like I don't watch the news now. It's a conversation for me. Yeah, that's. A whole another conversation, but the news then was like legit journalism and 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 dissecting issues from a nonpartisan standpoint, and um, and so my dad would watch like sixty minutes and all of these things. I think part of it was him, and he would always he said that he always watched TV in English to learn English. But he was also learning, in retrospect, a lot about the country as well, right? Um, and so I would watch these with him because it was the only thing that was on. Um, and then I'd ask questions and he would respond in, in a way that I understood. So when I would say like, well, you know, what, are, why did they decide that? And, and he'd explain, and, but it would always lead to like the same question. Why do they get to decide? Cause you know, I, I learned that these decisions were making an impact on us as a country and me and my parents as citizens now. Um, but I would always ask like, well, who gets to decide and why do they get to decide that? And he would always tell me the people in Washington, D.C., uh, because we chose them to, to make those decisions for us. And simplified version, but it's stuck in my little head. Right. And then and I just remember hearing like, OK, the people in D.C. decide everything. 
And then I started to really some issues I'd get like, well, that's not fair or, you know, or I don't like that. And then he'd be like, well, then you got to go to D.C. and you got to change it. And I'd be like, all right, I'm going to do it. And and that was kind of what led me to like really get into like, you know, public policy. I realized quickly that I didn't want to be a politician, but I wanted to be like the policy person behind the scenes. Um, and And that was kind of what made up my mindset about a lot of things, the importance of being civically engaged, I think from the get-go was kind of ingrained to me. Um, Not because my parents were out there being like incredible, like big visual leaders, but they were ingraining me, my own responsibility, you know what I mean, as a citizen, um, which is I think where we need to start step one, Um, but also the importance of voting, the importance of electorate, the importance of, you know, being a participating part of, of our government and what government means. And so I think I developed a really keen respect for government and wanted to be a part of that because of the impact that it has. And I wanted to make sure my perspective, my parents' perspective um, was being heard and being woven into those decisions. And were you able to carry that out when you went to Indiana? I did. So what was great about going to Indiana and studying public policy was that I, I all of Indiana is where I learned all of the book sense and like the uh, quantitative analysis, like a lot of quantitative analysis, how to actually study um, and crunch numbers and understand an issue from a data standpoint. That was really what I learned there. Um, and so everything we did, I learned like needed to be data driven, like, you know, emotions and opinions are great and they have a place, right? Like that's fantastic. And we definitely need to listen, but we also need to have the data to prove whatever it is we're saying, right? And the best way to, to prove a point or to make a case is data, right? Um, so I learned that at Indiana University. And then when I went to UT Austin, that was really a practitioner school in terms of pa- public policy. And we were learning from like past secretaries of defense and stuff like that. And then they would tell you how it's actually applied, right? And how decisions are really made. Yes, data is is incorporated, but we also have to have that relationship, but also lobbying and and how all of that budgeting, budgeting, yes, we, we need this because the data shows we need it, but how are we gonna pay for it? And like the practicality of now moving from making a case to implementation and problem solving. And then for 12 years, when I went to to the inspector, or when I was with the inspector general's office, I learned to really look at government um, from a critical eye and and analyze how we can we make this better. Gotcha. And so as you transitioned to you know DC, if you will, yeah, was it everything you thought it was going to no, be? No, <laughs> I hated it. Oh my god, I hate it. Another point for all you students or people that are in the middle of a life shift. Uh, yeah, that was another instance where, you know, I, that was the goal. That was always the goal. Be in D.C., make the decisions, be a part of it. Um, and I got there and I just didn't feel at home. And I didn't realize how, you know, like as a Texan, there's always like this love hate with your state. Right. Um, you're like, I love my state. But then sometimes you're like, I need to get out of here. Uh, <laughs> um, and so I left and was like, I'm going to D.C. by Texas. And then I realized how certain certain 
certain cultural values of mine and certain needs were really just ingrained in me as a Texan, right? right? Like that was just something that I really undervalued and under understood, I guess, misunderstood um, and quickly came back. Um, And I realized DC is wonderful. And I have a lot of friends still there that live very happy lives. Uh, But at that point in time, I really learned how important a sense of community is. And there's so many people moving in and out of D.C. that I struggled to find a sense of community of like, where do I give back? Where it's my place in in making this as a community, not our country and not policy, but as a community, where's my place and how do I how do I connect with the place I'm living? Um, Couldn't figure it out. So I came back um, and that's how I got to Fort Worth. Uh, My office, I told them I need to go back to Texas. I really feel like that's important and was going to go back to either San Antonio or Austin where I'd lived before. And they said, you know, we have a regional office in Fort Worth, Texas. Would you be interested? And I was like, never been there but I'm sure it's great. Uh, it's Texas, right? At least I'll be there for a couple of years and head back south um, and landed in a community because that's what I was looking for, a community that would completely, again, change the trajectory of my life. I want to touch on one thing that you mentioned about, you know, you it was your goal, you reached it, but it was kind of like this, almost a sense of unfulfillment. You know, I think a lot of times that, you know, people, including myself, we have these goals and we get there and it's like, it's not what you thought yeah. it was going to be, you know, speak on a little bit about how, you know, you would recommend or suggest people to kind of reroute or if you will, just or accept like reaching their goal, but being okay with that. It's okay for your goals to change. Yeah, that is so important. Like you said, like, I think sometimes when you're young and especially when folks are trying to, if you come from humble beginnings where the goal is to get farther right. is what, how I explain it to people. Like the goal is just to get farther. You think life is a linear line. Like I got to do this and then this will happen. And then I got to do this and then I'll get here and then I'll get the income that I want. I'll get the house and then I'll get this and I'll drive the car I'd like. And I'll have, um, you know, for me, I mean, having a job in an office setting was already further than my parents. Right. Um, and so you're just really thinking like all the things you got to do to move further because that's what your parents want for you. That's what you want for you. And so you don't look beyond. You don't look like wide lens. So when you're thinking about moving in just one straight line, you don't look at the peripherals, you don't look at the wide lens. And um, and then you realize as you're moving according to plan, like, oh my gosh, I don't feel the happiness that I thought that I would feel. I don't feel the fulfillment. You you just touched on exactly what I was, you know, thinking because, you know, not, I know this is your energy. Yeah. But I want to, you to know, touch on my own little bit of personal yeah. experiences that coming from humble beginnings, you know, a lot of the things that we do were the first. Yeah. And we get so focused on, you know, not only trying to accomplish these goals or go to the next step, you're not happy along the way, but you don't realize it until... You know, yeah. you, you reach that point. And I, I never forget my own personal experience. I finished law school and everyone around me is excited. And I'm just like, what, you know, it's like, okay, what's next? And like, yeah. you know, I know my family is proud. I remember my mom just sitting me down and said, hey, this doesn't mean anything that you accomplish if you're not enjoying it, you're not happy. Mm-hmm. And I think I needed to hear that because I was trying so hard to 
not only make my mom proud, but to also, you know, set up for future generations that's coming after me or cousins who are younger, like, hey, if I can do it, you can do it too. And so, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned that yeah. because it, it resonates with me. Deviations aren't always embraced, like mm-hmm. deviating from the plan or deviating from the path. And not because they're negative. It's just, I think we just never, you know, you're always or told, stay focused, you know, move forward. Um, And so I tell, this is why I tell every student that I talk to, I'm like, move forward, yes, explore, but also sit with it and say, does that feel right? Um, And is this really who I am? Um, You know what I mean? Is this who I want to be? Or is who I want to be and who I truly am a slight deviation? And how can I pursue that in a way that I am fulfilled, I am happy, I am doing work that's meaningful, and I am, you know, taking my family in a forward trajectory. And there's opportunities to do that. You know what I mean? But and and I will say that like my children and your child will all have the opportunity. They'll have more opportunities, right? Because right, we will right. showcase them to that. But our parents did what they could with the resources they had and explained the world the best they could. And God bless them, because I don't know if I could have been that resourceful. Um, but I really am excited to see like that second generation right. of like the world is yours, you know, go and, and pursue that. Almost like I want to see what it's like growing up with that little privilege. Yeah, <laughs> like just a little bit. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Just right. a little bit. Like we still got to keep them humble uh, exactly. and make them earn their things. You get it. You get um, it. But it's exciting to see what you know, uh, a wider lens on life is going to look like, you know what I mean? Like, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Um, uh, so I'm excited. I really am excited, but I do think that, uh, we as professionals and, and leaders have to give ourselves the grace to acknowledge what isn't right for us and to, to shift paths and to tell others that we were not happy doing what we thought we were doing because they may be feeling that unhappiness or that unfulfillment in their heart and feel like something's wrong with them. And that's not the case. Nothing's wrong with you. It just takes a little bit of time of redirecting and figuring out where, where, what is right for you personally. I I like that. I like that. So you land in Fort Worth and you know, if you're anything like me, when I land in Fort Worth, it's a completely different world than anywhere else you ever lived. And so talk a little bit about how was your transition to forward. Yeah. Well, I, one, was pleasantly surprised because people told me Cowtown. Exactly. <laughs> so I got here and was like, well, here we go. What does Cowtown look like? And I was like, oh, this is a city. We're good. Um, and so I was pleasantly surprised. Um, and very quickly uh, started Googling, like, groups and how can I, because, again, I didn't know anybody here. Um, so trying to figure out how to get plugged in, found a women's group that immediately like changed my life because everyone was just so welcoming and nice and caring. And it just was like a breath of fresh air. And it took nothing but five minutes for me to be like fully engaged on a committee, doing something or other, attending events. Um, and it was just I tell people like there is something truly special going on here in Fort Worth where while I acknowledge and I will not underplay the fact that we have some issues as well. But it's exciting that if you want to get involved, people are excited to support that. You know what I mean? And they're like, hey, let me make a seat for you at the table. Like, let me, you know, come and join us. Um, and, and it was a very warm reception. Um, so I started to say yes to some things just to try to get, you know, to acclimate it and meet people. And the more people I met, I found this whole community of people that were united and working together for the betterment of the city. 
like everyone, everyone's like, you know, I'm, I'm helping the homeless shelter. I'm helping, you know, the, the, this cause with domestic violence, or I'm here for the arts. And, you know, even though everyone has their own job and what they're doing, what their professional life is, it seemed like everyone was doing something else to just help shape the city. Um, and so that was something really special I hadn't experienced before, right? Um, and so jumped right in and and felt right at home here. You know, would you say that it, it was the first time since being back in San Antonio, you felt that sense of community and that culture? Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. It was really exciting. Um, and I and I will say that I think that we continue to have that. And whenever I meet, because now Fort Worth is exploding, right? Because when I got here, it was pre like explosion, I felt, or like right at the tip of when we start to into like in 2009. Um, but it was like a slower trickle than it is now. And now we have a, an abundance of people that are moving here. And I think the, the same energy is there. You know, people are, very welcoming welcome to our city uh because i think that we recognize they're coming with their talents they're coming with their families they're coming you know with their energy and as long as we can get them involved and also you know helping with our city and helping them feel welcomed we have an opportunity as a city to grow in a very unique way and so your experience you know serving on the hispanic chamber of commerce board which ultimately led to you becoming the president ceo did you know what you were getting yourself into? No, absolutely not. I had no idea. I actually told them. I was like, you know, I've never worked for a business. <laughs> and I am very honest and will say that I've never worked for a business. Like I still haven't to this day worked for a business. Um, my husband and I have started a business since then. So that has helped inform uh, my role then. Uh, but... What I learned was at first I didn't, I, you know, when folks were nudging and I had said like no five or six times and I went to my husband and I was like, why are we weren't married at this time? But, you know, why do you think that they're all encouraging me to do this? And we thought through it and he was like, well, you're, you know, nonprofits now because you've been involved and on boards and you've helped them grow. So you understand that you understand fundraising, you know, you understand this, you're just doing it all for free. Um, and you also understand, um, you know, performance driven results. Like that's what I was doing in the government. Um, and so he's like, what if you take your, you know, your passion of giving back um, and your knowledge of, you know, creating successful, you know, entities and programs and you take the Hispanic chamber to the next level. And I was like, hmm, that actually could work. And, and an opportunity to combine my professional life and my passion and actually live in it for the first time ever. Um, and that was exciting. Uh, but I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, but I told myself I will spend the first six months really learning what the Hispanic chamber is about, identifying our areas for improvement, and then set out on a plan. And I did that. We actually, you know, I, I joined in July. And then by December, we revealed this whole plan about like 2020 forward, something or other like that. We were really excited. Um, January kicked it off. By March, the entire world was shut down with a global pandemic. Um, and so at that point, we just took that little plan, tossed it in the wastebasket, and we just started to get to work. It realized, you know, at, at that point we realized we don't have to have all the answers, but we need to be listening to our members and the businesses, understanding what they need, and then just meeting those needs. And if we could do that every day during this global pandemic, we're going to be okay. 
And that's what we did. You know, before I go into the next thing, I just want to point and highlight one thing. Aren't you glad you married such a smart man <laughs> who, yes. you know, gave you the great advice? Because you might you may not be in the seat right that's now right. if you didn't, you know. <laughs> you, there is, I will tell you, and, and you probably, same situation with your spouse, having somebody that believes in you and, like, encourages you to, to really go for it, you know what I mean? That's awesome. Like, it really is the extra when you're just like, I don't know. And they're like, why not just do it? And you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you, maybe you're right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no. But did you feel a sense of like pressure? Because, you know, leading the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, there's many men and women who businesses are depending on your advocacy or your support or what the chamber can do. Did you feel a sense of pressure or like, what did I get myself into? Yeah, a sense, a mix of like pressure. Like I would say the weight of responsibility. Um, but also a tremendous honor. Um, but I will say that what's exciting, what the part that I didn't realize would be the most exciting is being surrounded by entrepreneurs, right? Entrepreneurs have an incredible spirit and energy. They are the like, why not just do it, right? Like they're like, I'll just start another business. That's a great opportunity. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to do that. Um, And you're in, as somebody who worked for the government for 12 years, risk averse, just naturally, (laughs) I'm like, y'all are crazy. But then I see them like go for it. Like it's nothing and build something out of it. And you're like, huh, crazy works. You know what I mean? Like crazy chasing, you know, a dream crazy just going out on a limb like why not try it what's the worst that could happen it doesn't work and then we shift directions um so i think that that's the part that i didn't realize the impact that our chamber members would have on me in realizing like life is short just go for it um and in terms of like the weight of of the membership i feel like i always knew as long as i listened to them right listening first um, and met them wherever they are and whatever needs they have that we would be okay. You know what I mean? And so I spend a lot of time talking to our members and so does our entire team, talking to our members, listening to what they need, uh, because nothing works if we're, if our programs, if our initiatives of whatever we are doing, if it's not meeting their needs, then it doesn't work, right? Like we just have to take it back to basics. Our big ideas aren't great unless they meet some businesses need. All right. And I imagine you had two great mentors and John and Rosa, yeah. who were your predecessors. Yes. Who, you know, I think the world of both of them. Yes. Um, did that help with your transition? It did. Absolutely. A lot of times asking like, hey, have y'all, did y'all ever try this? And they're like, oh yeah, we did. And here's what happened. Here's what we learned. Um, always wonderful as a leader to be able to lean on your predecessors because they've probably had the idea done the idea can tell you why it worked didn't work and that was exactly the situation they'd be like yes absolutely we got a lot of support here or what we found was more effective was doing it this way um and then that just better informed what we were doing i think that again the best leaders listen not always assuming that you know i've got the solution i've got the idea like asking questions probing um really making sure that you know you get different perspectives before you just rush forward right right well you know you took leadership we went through a global pandemic you didn't ruin the business you know still standing (laughs) and now you know celebrating the 50th anniversary 
Talk about like, what does that mean to you being able to sit in the chair to celebrate the 50th anniversary? You know, we have spent um, a lot of time, 50 years is an incredible legacy. Um, and so we've spent a lot of time thinking through how could we can honor this momentous occasion um, and how to do it well. Because that I would say the pressure is more about like how to honor 50 years of people's work of not just like the founding folks that, you know, went out on a limb and said, we're going to start at that point, a Mexican-American chamber. I can only imagine like when they said it, they were probably like, oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but everyone that along the way, every board member, every executive director, every president, every member, everyone who invested and helped push this forward to what it is today, like that I want to make sure we honor really well. Um, so what we are doing and we're excited to do is doing a little bit of both celebration. We have our 50th anniversary gala um, that's going to be in September. But we are also pouring a lot of love and time into a publication um, that's going to be a, a soft cover book, but a sizable one that will feature stories from the past, interviews, um, stories about like where we're hoping to go, a timeline of our organization, um, but also feature 50 Latino leaders that have helped sh shape our city and then 50 emerging leaders. Uh, we're doing that because we want to celebrate where we've been and all of the tremendous effort that got us to this point but also where we're headed. Right. Um, so we're excited. Uh, I would say that in talking to some of our like founding members um, that are still around, I just think to myself, you know, being an advocate and a voice is sometimes a little hard, right? To stand on your own and say, oh, I disagree, or I'm going to have to say this is what our community needs. But I can only imagine doing it in the 70s, was really sticking your neck out there right. and saying, right. I'm going to start our own chamber. Um, you know what I mean? I can only imagine how they felt. Um, and But to my knowledge, they were all very excited. It was very energetic. So we've got photos that we're going through, um, a tremendous amount of, you know, mementos and and uh, pieces of nostalgic memory that we're going to hopefully feature. That's good. That's good. What would you say that you're most proud of since you've been the president and CEO of the chamber? Gosh, of the Hispanic Chamber. Of the Hispanic Chamber. Yeah. Gosh, so many things. Um, I am really proud of this publication because I think, one, we're going to give it to, we're going to hopefully have it in all the libraries. Our hope is that if there's a student one day that's just interested or somehow we come up in their little search, they can pull this open and see back to like how we started this interview. Being able to see leaders that look like you right, right. is really important. And so my vision is it'll be at every library if they'll allow it. I don't know how that works. Um, <laughs> calling in all the favors there. Uh, so if a student just like opens this and says, like is flipping through pages of amazing people that are accomplishing a lot in our city that look just like them, that look like their parents, that they're going to be like, wow, right. I can do that too. So I'm really proud of this publication that we're putting together because what I hope is it'll have a greater impact even after we're gone. Um, but also we are doing hard things now. So when we got there, we were really, you know, yes, pandemic, focusing on networking and opportunities and, and helping people, you know, get minority certified and networking, all the things, uh, traditional things. But we are now dipping our toes into harder 
harder projects. Uh, we're, we've been charged with the commercial revitalization of the historic north side. Um, we are a partner with the city on that. That is, um, is a new space that's a complicated one. Uh, it's a hard one. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we're like, why did we do this? <laughs> um, but hard things have to be done and you have to wade through the complicated waters to be able to, to make a difference. And so we're very proud of that. Um, and then right now we just launched our first, um, well, not our first, cause we've had entrepreneurship class in the past, but we've just recently launched, um, a partnership with the national league of cities, also a Kauffman foundation, um, program that is going to be an entrepreneurship or like an entrepreneur 101 class. So we have, we launched it in Spanish and it's so exciting uh, to see folks show up eager to learn. They're committing one Thursday, no, one Tuesday evening a month for 10 weeks. For any adult, that's a lot. Like you got kids, you got like all the things. So you're telling me like after work, then I come and sit in class for three hours every Tuesday. And then they also sign back on on Thursday. But what that tells me is that these folks are investing in themselves. And that is awesome. You know what I mean? Just the idea, like that's what energizes me. Like that people are saying, I know like this is going to be a time commitment and this is probably easier just not to do, but I want to learn and I want to invest in myself and I want to do this for my family's economic prosperity. Um, And that is what fuels us every day to see those folks going for it. If we can just provide the space and the opportunity and they will just invest in themselves all day long. We're happy to do this job. That's good. That's good. It's a lot that you're doing. How do you find balance and time to run a business? Yeah. And well, if you will speak a little bit about your business, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you the opportunity to plug Thank your own you. Business. Yeah. So our family business is Casa Azul Coffee. Um, it's a big blue house uh, on West Central off of North Main in the north side. That is a funny story. So again, remember, I was the risk-averse federal employee for 12 years. My husband has always had this entrepreneurial dream, always. Um, and, And he's always like dreamt up ideas and we should do this and we should do that. And I just was like the wife squasher. I was just like, no, <laughs> like for years, I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, that's really risky. You know, you know, like the, the, I don't know, the statistics on failures of business and things like that. Um, I just was, I would, it was hard because I didn't want to like squash his dreams, but I kind of was, you know what I mean? And maybe doing it in a nice way of like, oh yeah, we'll see. The, the wife way. Yeah, the wife <laughs> way. The very nice, polite, we'll put that over there. <laughs> but um, but it was always something that he wanted to do. Always want something that we wanted to do. And I, uh, at some point I recognized, okay, at some point he's going to open his own business. But then when I started working at the chamber again, now surrounded by people just like him, And I do think people ask me, like, do you think entrepreneurship is something that is like you're born with or that spirit? Or do you think it's something you learn? I think it's both. Some people are definitely um, born with it. But somebody told me um, there's two reasons you start a business. And this like resonated. Two reasons you start a business. It's either inspiration or desperation. Um, And so and his was always inspiration. Like he just really wanted to do this. Um, and being now surrounded by entrepreneurs, I understood him more. I understood him a lot better. And I also understood that he wasn't crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that it could work. Um, so once he narrowed it down to like coffee, you know, even then he went to go work at Starbucks 
um, during the pandemic while he was getting his MBA. And, you know, and I just suggested it and hoped that he would like the idea. And I was just like, why don't you work at a coffee place and make sure you actually want to do this? This is the business you want to start. And he did. And he did it for almost two years while he was getting his MBA. Um, and he would wake up at 430 in the morning and be happily skipping off to go, you know, serve coffee all day. And it made me realize like, okay, he's really serious about it. But on top of that, he wasn't just learning how to be a barista or how to be a shift lead or whatever, you know, things that he learned. Um, he was actually, you know, looking at the like, the receipts printed out like activity by hour. He was like studying their trends. And I mean, sorry, Starbucks, but you know, <laughs> of like most popular, you know, sales hours and what that looked like, but also seasonally what, what he right. saw people, you know, transitioning to in terms of drinking desires. So he was doing his own business case study while getting his MBA and writing his business plan. So it was a very intentional route for us. Um, and once we found the perfect location, all the things started to align um, and very grateful for that. And we just, you know, we started in November of 2021 um, and and still in the midst of a little bit of a pandemic, but set forth and have been doing great since. So we're really excited about that. Was it intentional on the location? Because I know it's on the north side, yeah. which is traditionally a Hispanic uh, community. It is. So... We have always been very involved in the community, always been very involved. My husband worked for several politicians um, and then I just, you know, through volunteer work. And so we always and our Latino cultural center is there and we spend a lot of time, you know, supporting them and attending their events. So we always spend a lot of time in that area. And then I was working there as well. Um, and we noticed there is no coffee shops. There is no coffee shops in Northside. Now there's like three, I think. Well, there's a Starbucks now too. Um, That's a yeah, <laughs> you know, but, um, I can't hate on Starbucks cause we actually, you know, work there or we, I say we, but he did. Um, but there's, there's no coffee. And that's not unpopular that in certain communities. And someone had told me, you know, we as neighbors have always asked for two things, Starbucks and Chick-fil-A, but we were told we're not the ideal demographic. And I was just like, oh, okay. So we were like, well, we can do coffee. You know what I mean? We can we can do coffee and it'll work. And we wrote it into the business plan. And we had a lot of people review it to make sure it was in good shape um, because it does matter. And we teach that too at the chamber, the importance and the opportunity of doing a business plan. Um, and folks, a couple of folks question us, you know, whether, you know, the Northside community would pay four or $5 for a cup of coffee. Some people told us we were crazy, that we would be way better off going to another community um, with more expendable income, we were told. Um, and we were like, nope, we're pretty certain we want to be here. Um, so once we found the perfect location, uh, we committed to it. And we've been really proud to say you can track, you know, your customers. They are the neighborhood. They were wrong. They were wrong. Um, and I think that for me, what it tells me in terms of business is don't tell a community what they want. Right. You know what I mean? And and I continue to say that in a lot of spaces, like the community can speak for itself. And if they want coffee, they want coffee. You know what I mean? I don't think that we should, uh, you know, just, I don't know, you know, make those decisions for them or say like what they will like or what they will purchase or won't they won't purchase. Um, so we're really uh, thrilled about the tremendous support we've received from the community. Um, we'll continue to try to weave ourselves into an active partner there. Um, and things have been going very well. Does you get, do you kind of like smile or get like a sense of like, you know, 
my upbringing, my childhood, what mom and dad taught me, they were right about that sense of community, knowing that what you receive from your community growing up, what you poured back into it and your community evolved and now how the community is now rewarding you for your 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 hard work, your talent, your treasure that you poured back into. You have like a sense of like, you know, I did everything right. I what, did I do everything right? <laughs> That's a hard one. I'm like, eh. I've done a, I'm really proud of a lot of things. I think I've had the I've had a lot of very lucky opportunities that I am very grateful for. And I um, am never going to end with like just stepping back and acknowledging that I'm in spaces that my parents probably never thought I would be in. You know what I mean? Like I've probably exceeded their expectations a little bit. Um, and now I, cause my parents currently live with me. Um, I'm trying to bring them into new experiences as well and let them see what that world is like. Um, so the humbleness is still there. And I do, I'm sorry, I'm going to get emotional in a second. Um, it's a very powerful situation. Yeah. I hear the passion in your voice when you talk about community and I'm very passionate about my community because I, I can truly say if it wasn't for certain people, Raymond Kitchen, Jesse Hudson, yeah. uh, Mama Jones, that yeah. I wouldn't be here along with, you know, the support of them and my mom. And so, you know, just hearing, you know, being able to say, yeah, the community knows what they want and you going to the community, giving back and yeah. rewarding you from a, you know, a business standpoint. I, I know it's kind of just full circle. Yeah. And I think, thank you for saying their names. We need to say names of people more, right? We need to acknowledge the people that helped us get where we're at. Right, right. So 40 years from now, yeah. we're at the we're at the 90th anniversary of the chamber. They're going to call you up and you're going to give your retirement speech. How do you want to do it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hold on. <laughs> I thought they were going to wheel me in. <laughs> what do you want your legacy to be? Yeah. How do you want to be remembered? Um, how do I want to be remembered? Um, hopefully as somebody that, uh, has continually tried to do good, right. Um, that isn't one to shy away from tough situations, I think is also very important. Um, but that's it. Like, I don't think that it's about reaching a certain level of success. Cause I don't really even know what's next. I mean, 40 years from now, if I'm still at the chamber, I feel bad for the chamber. They're going to have an 80 year old CEO. <laughs> like move me aside way before that. Um, I don't know. You know what I mean? And people ask me like, what are you going to do after this? I truly have no idea. Uh, and I think that there's, that's okay with me. You know what I mean? I know that my next calling and whatever I'm meant to do next will reveal itself. I'm confident in that. Um, I'm grateful to be doing work that I appreciate um, every day and that I'm inspired by. But my hope is just to re be remembered as somebody that tried to do good, right? And um, and that maybe left the world a little bit better of a place. That's good. That's good. Well, Annette, thank you again for sitting down and having thank this conversation. You. It was very insightful to me, but I really enjoyed it. And I hope it was the same for you. Yes, absolutely. Thanks. It's been truly amazing. I hope it's been a great conversation for everyone that's watching. And thank you. Again. Thank you, guys. This is awesome, Ty. Always great to spend time with you. Make sure to follow us so you don't miss the next episode of Take This Down. You won't regret it. Mm -hmm.